Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast for film fans by film fans. Every episode, we look at films old and new to choose what should be preserved for all time in our movie vault. With lively topics, big questions, and crazy challenges to entertain us and our guests, we always look to have fun by giving you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a preview of what to expect in today's episode. In both these films, the romantic subplot is signalled by another character saying to one of the characters, I saw the way you were looking at them. What's worse about all of that? Like when you have that, I saw the way you were looking at it. What? With genuine fear for her safety in the middle of a cataclysmic <laughs> disaster? <laughs> yeah, don't, don't you look at most people like that? Hello and welcome to Goodwell Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies worth discussing and the topics worth watching. I kind of butchered that, but it is Friday the 13th after all. So, you know, what's Friday the 13th without some bad luck? So I'm your host, Oscar David. I may as well carry on with, you know, the, the theme of uh, messing things up. I am joined as always by my co-host, we we tried to see if he was going to be on this podcast. We put it to a vote recently, guys, and it was it was so close. It was like a nail biter. We've been counting for days. We thought he might have not made it, but he just clinched through, unfortunately. So here is Craig McDonald, everyone. Yeah, tough luck for you there, David. Yeah, I know. Yes, that Friday bad luck is still uh, <laughs> continuing through there. Oh, well. You could, you could uh, stop that, all right? Stop that. <laughs> We'll see so much of it being a pleasure, me joining you every single week. You're trying to find cowardly ways of getting rid of me. True, true. It's fraud. It's fraud. <laughs> yeah, today is Friday the 13th, and uh, we've got quite a show for you today, but uh, we can't be completely reliant on our setup today because, as you can tell, things have been going wrong already. So I'm not quite sure about this guest list I have. It would be awesome if we did have these guests, but but let's see. So apparently our first guest is the amazing Christopher Walken. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, 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 well, good movies. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I can't keep that up. It's... it's um, it's actually Christopher Maxwell. Ah, uh, well, so- I, I, I didn't want to let you get get you like really down about that, David. No. But you know what? It, it was it was worth a shot. It's, um, it's the next- screw David's feelings. Like at the end of the day, we want you. Yeah, it's the next best thing. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's watch. Let's watch as your birthright. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll be very interested if this is our next guest as well. Uh, we've actually got with us Maisie Williams. Uh, no, sorry. that That's that's Kieran. Kieran Williams. Oh, damn it. Right. So I even got the gender wrong there. Sorry. <laughs> Not even <laughs> to attempt an oppression. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Just uh, if he does get out like a sword at one point, we might know that there's some connection, connection there. Uh, yeah. So guys... Uh, Hopefully, from now on, the Friday the 13th bad luck won't continue. And yeah, it kind of has been a bit of a disaster, this entire setup to this episode. So guess what we're going to be talking about today? And that is disasters, more specifically disaster movies. 
So they have been a staple of Hollywood for many years now, and many people this year have felt that 2020 has been quite a bit of a disaster. So with Friday the 13th and 2020 both combined this year, we thought what better time to remind ourselves about how much worse it could be uh, (laughs) or whether the world will come to an end this year. We will have to see. Uh, So just to get us in that uh, feeling for what 2020 has been like as a year and that it has been kind of like a movie, uh, we actually have a trailer for 2020 coming up for you right now. As long as I'm president of the United States... Iran will never be allowed to have a nuclear weapon. And the president alerting Congress tonight the U.S. will respond with force if Iran retaliates for the drone strike that killed top Iranian commander Qasem Soleimani. One year ago this week, more than half a million Hong Kongers hit the streets. Their anger targeted Chief Executive Carrie Lam and a controversial extradition bill. Their fear, it would give Beijing the power to disappear people in Hong Kong into China's opaque legal system. For months, Australia has endured the most prolonged and destructive bushfire emergency in Myanmar. The storm cell is developed to the north with heavy wind gusts toward the southwest. Fire since hit trigger point three. It's like a run. WHO says there are a lot of unknowns about this disease from the source to how it spreads and its clinical features. We don't know the source of this virus. We don't understand how easily it spreads. It's urging its citizens not to travel abroad as it struggles to contain the virus that has now killed more than 100 people. The total number restrictions. They don't want to see a repeat of SARS similar to this, we think, uh, which happened back in 2002. If anything kills over 10 million people, In the next few decades, it's most likely to be a highly infectious virus. What is the most resilient parasite? A bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? And the well, biggest disaster that that can't account for is that it says it's coming to cinemas this summer. I don't think it would be. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, I, I hope not. <laughs> it's I, mental about that. Like the first part of that was all just the first quarter of the year. I was thinking that, yeah, it was depressing even before any mention of COVID. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a bleak opening act. That's the great thing about it is just the fact that it's just like, like a film trailer is just like halfway through you're just like then that's when the the major villain comes into the piece kind of thing <laughs> but yeah so i hope you're all excited uh, after that one guys that uh, you know certainly a positive way to start isn't it but uh... you're like deaf david i'm not gonna lie just <laughs> we'll cheer ourselves up now by going back to our guests again some proper introductions now that we've set the mood uh, for the episode uh, we'll be seeing how similar the disaster films we we're talking about today are to that trailer 
shout out to the person who made that, which I think also lightens the mood. He's called Grim Sausage. You know, so combination there, Grim, but, you know, Sausage, funny, way. Uh, so check it out on uh, YouTube, guys. 2020 official movie trailer by Grim Sausage. Today we are talking about disaster movies, so we thought we would... Uh, bring on two previous guests which have a history of talking about you know big franchises big you know theatric movies so you know first of all with us we have chris maxwell who joined us previously on our halloween special and invisible man episode so hello officially chris uh, now i'm not addressing you as uh, a famous movie actor <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, I'm afraid. Uh, but hello, guys. It's great to be back again. Um, it, oh, it, it honestly, just talking about that Invisible Man, uh, that that feels like it was about a decade ago at this point. Yeah, we had the same thing because that was our previous guest on the Valentine's episode, which was the episode after that. So yeah, that was around that weird time in which. Judging by that trailer, we were in like what well, the Australia bushfire <laughs> sort of era yeah. of, of just before it, it arrived. But yeah, you were quite excited for this on the, the basis of Friday the Thirteenth, which I was like, uh, unfortunately, Chris, we're not talking about that movie. But <laughs> but tell us a bit about you know why why you think you know Friday the Thirteenth is still still worth a shout on uh, on Friday the Thirteenth, which is today. I I think it's because. Friday the 13th, it, it's always got that reputation of being really unlucky. But I honestly think that that is mostly just because of the film. Or the films, I should say. The films, there's so many of them. Uh, and it, it's so weird because I, I, I actually watched the first one again recently. And the only mention of it being Friday the 13th is right at the beginning of the film. And then it's never mentioned again. And I swear to to god that if you watch any of those sequels that date is barely mentioned the fact that it is friday or the 13th there's not even a month there's not even a month that's mentioned as well like it's it's, it's like it's friday the 13th when oh it's just, it's like easter you know it could happen anytime <laughs> it all depends on the sun or something it's it's a staple of of horror and it's a staple of, of cinema, I'd say. Um, and that Jason and the hockey mask. Every time Friday the Thirteenth rolls around, you see everyone talking about it. It's yeah, it, it's. But in that sense, it is a disaster movie because most of those sequels are pretty terrible. <laughs> that is very true, and yeah, it's a good point with the the date thing because it's strange that like you said with something like Candyman, it'd be like oh you know you say Candyman, or there's always that thing of you know you say the name or you go to this certain location you find that character so you'd think it would be an element of every film they'd be like oh no friday 13th's coming is something terrible gonna happen is this you know character gonna pop up but yes we they don't incorporate that into the story every time so also joining us is, isn't Maisie Williams, it is Kieran Williams, <laughs> uh, who joined us on our Star Wars episode. And that was also, yeah, back in January, which is crazy to think of. Rise of Skywalker hasn't been out that long, guys. It's, it's, <laughs> it feels like that film has felt like to me, I was like, wow, that feels like it's been out like two, three years by now. Uh, how are you, Kieran? How, how, how are you with, uh, you know? Star Wars and you know all the film watching you've done in the last year. <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Um, me and Star Wars are doing okay at the minute with Mandalorian um, season two out recently, and uh, you know 
starting to forget Rise of Skywalker, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of reflective of Star Wars at the moment, isn't it? It's like we were in the Empire Strikes Back at that time and now it's like the election in the u.s everyone's like using those images from a turn of the jedi of like the emperor <laughs> being thrown down the shaft and like everyone's celebrating on endor it's like oh mm. we're in return of the jedi now thank 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 god <laughs> obviously you you know it was interesting talking about the theme of this episode because i think you said the fiance is a massive fan of disaster movies and you were like i'm not so much a fan of them as well so <laughs> so yeah, that, that was quite cool yeah, I've always been a bit, a little bit indifferent about them, to be honest. But yeah, as you say, my fiance is it's disaster movies and like action thrillers. So Speed are basically mm. her comfort movies. Like if she's feeling ill or doesn't know what to watch, it's one of those. It's a, it's a Dante's Peak, Volcano, Speed, you know, anything like that. She knows they're not great. Like she knows it's not high cinema or anything <laughs> like that. But it's just she can just watch it and just it's like a warm bath you know yeah what 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 was your feelings on it what you know even before you know re-watching some for this episode were you always just like the entire genre is trash or is it (laughs) (laughs) i think i used to think that and yeah i'm sure we'll get into this a bit more but like yeah certainly the sort of 90s and early noughties ones more or less without it's hard to talk about without sounding like a film snob but more or less vehicles for special effects um and just you know oh you thought independence day was cool when the white house blew up well now we're gonna have a tidal wave and you know just constantly one-upping the last disaster movie basically um and not really doing much else pretty much yeah Today, the two films that we're going to be focusing on mainly are Volcano and 2012, uh, which is, of course, from Roland Emmerich. We had to get, you know, Roland Emmerich in there and Volcano, you know, that's from 1997. So again, you know, a sort of different era. We're going to be breaking down those two films from when we've watched them recently and our reactions to them, whether we've seen them before or whether it's a, a first time watch. But before we go into them, I just wanted to get, you know, again, your guys' feelings for just disaster films as a whole. Like I said, you know, why do people enjoy watching The World End? You know, what? how does it creep into other genres? Like I said, science fiction, you know, kaiju films, Transformers, all of these films kind of then tend to borrow from that. You know, Chris, what, what what's your sort of feelings on, on the genre and what, what the appeal of it is? Um, I find it quite similar to the way people enjoy horror in a sense that it's it's that sort of fear of, oh my lord, how could we get away from this? But it's on that larger scale. Um, I It's weird. The majority of disaster films are very schlocky. They're very cheesy. Like, in, it, it, in, in the fact that like a horror, it's more of a doom and gloom, and if you get away, it's by the skin of your teeth. With disaster movies, when you survive it, it's like, yes gosh yeah we we did it and it's like um man prevails and there's that sort of like feel good thing about it there is this sort of bleakness to it and then there's a sort of chirpiness there as well which seems almost out of place i think it is just again it's that human fascination with the the macabre and 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 the, the fear of absolute anarchy because when you get up, everything's quite normal. 
And then when all this goes wrong, you panic and you start thinking, what would I do? Would I be like this guy? Would I be like John Cusack? And it allows you to sort of step into that sort of world and experience it. <laughs> even even no matter how wild it is, it's 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 like a roller coaster ride, I suppose. Yeah, and like you said, it is it is the idea of people being like, oh well, this you know wouldn't happen in real life, so let's see you know how it would pan out if it did. And even like you said, with real disasters, you know people you know in the moment, people are like, oh my god, that's horrific, or you know they might be terrified. But, you know, after it, then it's, you know, some of the most watched stuff you might get on television or YouTube. You know, you get documentaries about how this happened, you know, people, you know, who were victims of it and people who were lost to it. And, you know, like the the videos of the disasters themselves. And it's that that idea of people like, oh, my God, I, you know, I need to watch to see how this happens because it's such far away from from what we usually see. Uh, but at the same time, like you said, it's, you know, the films themselves uh, don't actually go into the real serious, dark aspects of this. They go into the more ridiculous aspects of it. I also love as well how a quick Google search of disaster films brings up the complete randomness that they are. Because, you know, you often think they're natural disaster films. So, you you know, you're looking at your Poseidon's, Twister, uh, The Day After Tomorrow, those type of films. Uh, but then, like I said, you've got ones like Armageddon, Deep Impact, ones that have got more of a science fiction aspect to them. Um, and then ones like 2012, etc., which are just completely, you know, Geostorm, all of these things which are somewhat plausible, but take it to a completely different realm. And they're like, oh, the entire world rather than just one city, etc. Um, I do love how, like, as well, like, you type in disaster movies into Google and the top ones are, like, Independence Day, Transformers, and Titanic 2. Not Titanic. <laughs> Titanic 2. <laughs> one of the top, you know, disaster movies on Google, apparently, it's like... Is, is that disaster in a sense that it was terrible? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so, yeah. Uh, Titanic is there as well, but lower down the Titanic too, which is uh, which is interesting. Like you said, we said there with Titanic, it does go into a completely, or you know, Titanic 2 more specifically, you know, a different subgenre of these bad disaster movies as well you know and let's not forget forget birdemic you know one of the most <laughs> infamous <laughs> disaster well, movies yeah i was gonna i was gonna bring this up actually probably when we were gonna be talking about 2012 but i i noticed on amazon prime video there are just countless terrible low budget disaster movies like it seems like the most prevalent genre that um the asylum make whose business model by the way seems to be take a popular film and do a do a slight variation on it so it confuses old people in the supermarket but yeah um i don't know i i was thinking we'll probably get it more into this but what separates those films from the sort of more the hollywood films um and why do they make them other, other than other than what i just said why why do they make disaster movies are they are they easy to write what you know or is it or is it just that special effects thing again i think that there is a very clear reason why they're incredibly easy uh, easy films to write in many situations because 
a lot of what people find gripping about stories tends to be, you know, like the human interest aspect of it. It's just like, will boy get with girl or will hero defeat villain? This is just a very easy concept of will they survive? In which case you just write your story with yes. And you can just put in whatever like contrivances you want to ensure people are alive. You also don't have to write a compelling villain, right? You literally just go, the earth is out to get you. Deal <laughs> with it, yo. Because... And then just come up with some weird pseudo-science absolute tosh <laughs> to justify exactly why this is happening in the first place. That's one of the things that I cannot wait to just rip on about some of these films. Just some of the justifications for why disaster is happening in the first place. But also why disaster stops. Just <laughs> ludicrous. <laughs> suicide adhered to the Mayan calendar which predicts the end of time to occur on the 21st of December of this year this year this year I thought we'd have more time so when do we let the people know our mission is to assure the continuity of our species wasn't it also decided the people have the right to fight for their lives Truth. Search 2012. Yeah, I, I I specifically chose that trailer because I remembered that the advertising campaign was actively encouraging people to, you know, look into the 2012 conspiracy and be like, yeah, it's it's real, it, you know, it's happening. So uh, yeah, that is 2012, which was actually out on also the 13th of November, back in 2009, so not 2012. It is directed by Roland Emmerich, uh, who also brought us films like Independence Day and The Day After Tomorrow. It stars John Cusack, who is Jackson Curtis. You've also got Amanda Peet, who is Kate Curtis, and then Chiwetel Ejiofor as Adrian Hemley, Danny Glover as President Wilson, Thandie Newton as Laura Wilson, and weirdly enough, Woody Harrelson as Charlie Frost. And uh, the plot of this one, I had to, you know, specifically uh, quote the synopsis for it because it just made me laugh, was just, 
A frustrated writer struggles to keep his family alive when a series of global catastrophes threaten to annihilate mankind. I was just like, the way it frames it, just like a frustrated writer, as if he was just there one night and was just like, oh, I can't finish my book. Can anything else get worse? <laughs> then he wakes up in the morning like, oh, God's sake, it's the end of the world. <laughs> it's like, well, at least I got my book sorted. It's okay, honey. It's not the end of the world. This <laughs> <sighs> is like rewatching the movie. <laughs> for me, for me, the moment where I literally sort of had to go, you've you've got to be effing kidding me. It's just that scene in the supermarket where I feel like there's something pulling us apart. See, I thought you were going to say the two guys singing, it's not the end of the world on the boat. That had, that had a level of irony I could just get behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same, yeah. But that supermarket scene, I was just like, right, I realise that disaster movies have to have like fitting moments. But you can't literally be like, cue the punchline of all these people are gonna die. <laughs> yeah, uh, out of curiosity, how many of you guys was this a first time watch or had seen it before? This was my first time watching the film at all. Yeah, it was my first as well. I saw it. It couldn't have been that long after it came out. So yeah, second viewing after after ten years. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw it like years ago, and I, I had forgotten a lot about it. And, and like I said, you know, we had to throw in uh, Roland Emmerich in there, you know, somewhere because he is so famous for all the crazy world ending sort of stuff he likes to do. And a lot of these tropes, uh, you know, are visible in these films and have started, you know, to creep into then other movies, like we said, like science fiction ones. So, you know, Kieran, what, what was your major reaction what, watching it back again? How, how do you compare it, like you said, about, you know, the trash we were talking about? Or, you know, is it up there with the higher ones? Uh, it's it's pretty not good, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's pretty awful. Yeah, there's a real script problem, I think, just in terms of dialogue. Like, yeah, like you just said, Craig, the sort of cheesy one-liners and just other little things like... Like there's a bit at the, right at the start where uh, the the director of the Louvre dies in the tunnel in the car crash, and on the news report they have to mention that it's the same tunnel that Princess Diana died in. Like yeah. as if we, the audience, don't know there's something fishy going on. They have to be like, <laughs> like Princess Di- Princess Diana, yeah. um, and there's just there's just nothing else going on in this movie. Like. I kept trying. I kept wanting there to be something. Like I was thinking, well, what's what's John Cusack's character's? What's his arc in this movie? His arc is he doesn't pay much attention to his kids, and and then he does, and, and, and that's it. Yeah, and he also <laughs> maybe resents breaking up with his wife, and then conveniently her new boyfriend. <laughs> horrifically dies <laughs> via like a cog grinder so he's like well that that's that problem sorted i can get back together with my ex-wife now can i but- explain why that was one of the worst deaths i've watched in a while because he's just because he's just there so uh he's just there hanging off the edge of this platform and this this just this back and forth of like grab grab my hand i can't grab your hand it's just like y- you can you're just not pushing your hand out and then he's basically slipping down and then once he gets like the end he starts scrabbling for his life then like it cuts to john cusack and it cuts back to him and it's just a hand going down slowly into the grinder and just like 
what a cheap death scene for what is otherwise a really expensive looking movie. I just, I, I feel like just putting the wah, wah, wah music over the damn thing. It was like the opposite of the Terminator. Instead of having like the thumbs, like as if the thumbs up would be <laughs> like going down into the cogs or something. You hear him like scream, you hear him scream when he's going in. And then like, when is the hand? It's just silence. It's a very, it's the PG-13 version of a, Crush, crushing of a human body. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And conveniently, when we then see those cogs later, no blood. <laughs> just an arm. Just <laughs> yeah, rotates up. John Cusack just swimming amongst like bones and you know, eyeballs and stuff. <laughs> That's basically my thoughts. Is what I said earlier is that it's kind of a vehicle for these special effects. Which I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but I thought they haven't actually aged all that well either. Um, obviously spectacular at the time. Mm. Um, but I don't know what, what people think of that. What makes you say that they haven't aged very well? There was one scene in particular, uh, and it was the scene with where they're escaping the park, Yellowstone Park, and the fireballs are sh- shooting at them and crashing on the ground. And I don't know, maybe I was... I'm not... This is this is going to sound like the worst humble brag. I was watching it in 4K, and, I, and it was something I could just sense that there was like a layer between the explosion and the the ground but i don't know it just didn't um i don't know it didn't blow me away in the way that i thought it might do some of it's very good um but yeah that scene in particular i thought i thought the fireballs looked better in volcano which we'll talk about later but yeah just that a bit yeah that's interesting as well actually because it's a big challenge the vfx have had to do in recent years is like oh now people can see things a lot more clearly so they have to like add a lot more like dust and different things to like you know surround things Mm. to make things look more realistic so i think like moments even though it does look you know ultra cgi is like you know the plane going through the buildings and the train falling down like that entire sequence is just madness but i was like okay this is somewhat impressive even though again some of it you know comes across as just like a bunch of people in a car like whoa you know and they're not actually going anywhere (laughs) Um, and especially, I think, in the plane, I think when he was running to the plane, like that was another yes. moment where, where the hand came up, you know, was that like a throwback to the, to him, like grabbing onto the ledge or something like, oh, well, his hand made it, but this guy's hand didn't. But, you know, when he was running towards the plane and she was there like, come on, you can make it like that looked really like green screen. Like, you know, you could tell again is i think some of it was due to the acting as well i think actually the kids were more realistic in that moment i think like roland emmerich really needed to tell the the woman like it is the end of the world by the way can you please act like that <laughs> she was just kind of like come on quick get in you know we, we're, we're off to you know mcdonald's <laughs> don't want to be late it's only 2012 yeah <laughs> for me the scene that i will happily defend in terms of like visual quality is uh, I, I don't know whether this, whether just because it was set at night, so it was a lot harder to basically tell like CGI from re- reality. But it was basically the tsunami that destroyed the uh, the White House, um, as well as just like you, know, you have the the like battleship that basically is like tilting on on top of and crashes down on like the president. I thought that I thought that was probably fine, but I can see to some degree that yeah, there are definitely times where if you look at the if you look at the humans directly then look at the actual action around them is quite obvious that there's 
what's going on. And you also get that like awkward scene at that moment where they just cut to the president just there laying there as if they've all been like, oh, what's going on? Like, you know, they're just woken up randomly in like a pile of ash. And then he just, again, it looks like he's on a set or something. And then he just like gets back up then just to be killed immediately again. I was just like that, you know, the pacing and the, the placement of those scenes was very odd. I didn't realize until watching that trailer that that ship was called like John F. Kennedy. And I was just like, wow, that that's... Roland Emmerich made quite a lot of political statements in this film. Like you said, you know, the, the Diana thing, when that happened, I was like, so is he, you know, expressing that he is definitely in on this theory that she was like assassinated? <laughs> and now like this is again, he's just like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I'm also looking forward to the idea that that warship inadvertently kills Lee Harvey Oswald. <laughs> exactly. Like, is he just like, it's the ghost of Kennedy back for revenge? See, that is oh. a movie I'd watch. What what was your overall thoughts, Craig? Did you did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy the silliness? Words cannot describe how much I hated this film. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but right. So a very quick comparison that I can make uh, between the two films, and I think that this definitely dictates my enjoyment. It is really hard for me to give any sense of emotional crap when here is a here is a disaster going on in the world. We cannot stop it no matter what. All we can hope is that we can try and live. I'm just like, cool. I don't know how much I can really be invested, especially considering, A, I don't know how much your survival is going to be possible in this world where apparently everything is just crushing and your, and your goal is get to these ships, which you think are spaceships, at which point I'm just like, pass. But then it turns out they're just boats. And I'm just, I'm just there thinking, you're going to live in the ocean. Uh, I just had no investment. I, I just also just in in the event that you could even still live on that planet. I'm not sure I want to at that point because as far as you have to be responsible, they literally say we care about the the survival of humanity. Why, if you have to literally rebuild civilization from the ground up at that point, I'm not cut out for it. To be honest, <laughs> like I'm, I'm happy to say I'm not that strong. Uh, and we've had this discussion several times before, David, where if I just don't believe in the core premise of a film, I'm not going to enjoy it. Like with uh, with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, do I think the dinosaurs should survive? No, that the entire film is we want to get these dinosaurs to survive. I'm not invested. Should the human race continue when literally the Mayan culture is like prophecy of this world is going to end? Should humanity try and continue? I'm going to say... The odds are stacked about, uh, against us to the point that I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> but then suddenly, but then at the end of the film, and I realise this is going to be a bit of a spoiler for uh, uh, for Chris, who wasn't able to see all of 2012. Uh, the disaster just stops at one point. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my favourite bit. Yeah, it just stops. I'm not, I'm not gonna. I'm not Go gonna on. lie. I sort of predicted that was going to happen. Yes. Yeah, but this is this next <laughs> clincher, of- which is. This is the next clincher that winds me up a bit. Because it was just like, so it just stops after like a month. All the rest <laughs> of the world, all the rest of the, uh, they've also started a new calendar, by the way. They basically go day 27, month one, year 0001. <sighs> it just stops. And what's happened where all of the earth has been crumbling. Bear in mind what they said was that the core of the earth melted. <laughs> How does a ball of molten rock melts 
to the point that it still survives. But apparently Africa has risen from the waves. <laughs> and now they're going to make a home on Africa. At which point I went, great, recolonize Africa. That yep. went so well the first time, guys. <laughs> Such a bizarre choice. <laughs> like... And then the earth zooms out as if like showing Africa. And I'm just like, what is your message here? What is your message that Africa is the key to our salvation? Especially after all the kind of weird, you know, like, oh, billionaires, you know, funded this and all this kind of stuff. You know, it's just like, mm, I don't know if any of those people are worth, you know, like building because they never really make clear because he's like, oh, we had to get like, you know, the right amount of people like scientists, intelligent people, teachers. And then like uh, Adrian just kind of goes like, well, it looks like, you know, all these people just bought their way on. And I'm like. Well, how much of it is people bought their way on? Because you don't see anybody who is actually of scientific the, 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 educational use. The funny thing about that scene is he's basically talking about eugenics. And then the chief scientific officer goes, oh, what? These people pay. <laughs> eugenics I'm fine with, but these people are paying for their tickets. Yeah. It's a bit worrying where your moral line is literally racial purity uh, versus, <laughs> versus capitalist concerns. Can I just come back on that Africa thing? Because something's just occurred to me, and I'm, I don't want to be seen as defending this film, but is it the fact that we we started in Africa yeah, and now we're going back to our... Is that what they were trying to I, go for? I think for? they did say that in the film. I think they went, oh, back to where it all began. I think that was something oh, that was... Okay. I think they did say that at some point. But, um, I must have missed that. That's the literal equivalent of the end of the second Pokemon movie where the villain goes... <laughs> He sees like a Mew card on the ground, picks it up, goes, how it all began and how it will begin again. <laughs> At which point I'm just like, great, I can't wait to see 2012 to 4024. I don't know. I, I think like you said, though, it is the what, you know, what has happened to the earth because, you know, you can buy into sort of like when it's just, oh, global warming, everything is flooded or something. Oh, there's, you know, day after tomorrow, everything is frozen. But this is just such a hodgepodge of different things going on. It's like, you know, I, I thought it was kind of like the film was like Dante's Peak, then becomes like Independence Day, then becomes Poseidon Adventure. It was like all these different end of the world movies all in one. It was, it was crazy. I still... The only thing I like about this film's existence is that it inspired an incredibly funny Dara O'Brien comedy routine. Because obviously yeah. he studied uh, physics at university and he does a lot of science programs with Brian Cox. Uh, he explains the core premise of apparently what is happening and just basically just rips into the core premise, which is the idea of the neutrinos have mutated and they're heating up the planet. And he just explains, do you not understand how many thousands of years that needs to have happened? And yet apparently in the timeline of this movie, it has happened twice within the space of like a couple months. No, when the neutrinos mutate, you all just instantly die. Because <laughs> they're microwaves. I also love from that as well you reminded me when we were talking about like who lives who dies who like goes on the boat etc i just don't like the message as well if they were just like the guy who like figured this out died today and all this and i was just like i was like i get what they're trying to say that you know like everyone can be lost you know like we, you know it all happened at once blah 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 but i was like of everybody on earth that would be the one guy they were like we need to get this guy on this boat because if he's the guy who understands it the most you would think he would be like number one priority to get on there you know like the fact that 
Chitual Everture's character is just pretty much like, I don't know, I, I'm guessing, you know, like they literally just like, tell us what's going on here. And all these scientists are just like, mm, well, it might be this. And oh, well, something's just immediately happened. Oh, that's what's happening. And it's like, it, that, that's what's the crazy thing about it is that in other disaster movies, you usually have a volcano expert, a, you know, weather expert. You have some form of like, you know, semblance of what's going on from what they're saying. But in this one, they're just kind of like, <laughs> don't know. It's a good point. They talk about having some of the most science, the best scientific minds in the world on those vessels, and yet they don't pick up the guy who presumably will know when this disaster ends <laughs> before you can just make your like bullshit predictions about. Yeah, I fi- I think it's okay to go outside now, guys. Yeah, I I, I would have preferred seen like a few years, like you know, if they were going to go down that line, rather than it just be like a few days, like we said, you know, it is it's hard to believe that it only was a few days before this. Like, well, it's to justify that ridiculous decision at the end, isn't it? The thing about him wanting to open the gates mm. and Oliver Platt rather sensibly saying, "No, <laughs> there's not enough resources." Was it? Yeah, true. like it's to it's so that. The ships don't go off into the distance and you're left thinking, well, they're just going to die, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, true. They're just going to die in their very nice rooms. And, um, and the fact that they actually say when they open the gates, like, uh, we know there's a lot of you, please be careful. And you, at which point you've already seen them like hitting each other over ledges to get on the boat. <laughs> so when they're coming out onto the balconies, which don't appear to have fences, I'm like, I'm feeling like they're going to start tipping over the edge of these balconies again. <laughs> He goes into that room and he's like, 10 people could fit in here. And I was like, really? Like, uh, <laughs> that might get a bit tiresome after six months. <laughs> Chris, from what you, you just look baffled by like being described the finale of this. What was your reaction to like the beginning? Because like I said, it's such a different film at the beginning. You've got Woody Harrelson, you know, on the radio. You've got Yellowstone, all these crazy things happening. I just found the way, I just found myself just, I, I was watching it and I was just thinking, uh oh. At a certain point, my brain just started to switch off. <laughs> and, and I think that's the idea. <laughs> and but not not in the sort of switch off and just absorb it. In the sense of, I was, I, it was almost as if I was trying to fall asleep, but I was still focusing on it. Like, it was like stuff was happening. And then, yeah, I just couldn't get through it. Like it was such a slog. But the the main reason I couldn't get through it, I, I basically was like, how long is this film? The film's over two and a half hours. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, no. No, 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 no. That is too long. And and the, the worst part about it is, from the sounds of things, they still managed to cram too much into it. It's weird how a film that can be so that can be too long still have too much happening in it as well. Like, it's the wrong side of two and a half hours. And the thing with most disaster movies, they're, sh- they're usually a decent length because this, you can't take that much punishment because at a certain point, you're just like, this is not nice. You yeah. know, it's, it's like when, when you watch, I keep going back to horror, but like there, there's like two types of horror films that you can have. There's the, the standard ones where it's like, oh my God, this is crazy, this is scary. And then it's sort of, it levels out. Or you can just have ones that are just relentless and awful. Mm. And this was just like a film that had so much happening where it was like, oh, oh. And, and you just, at a point, you just had to, I just had to sort of get away from it. And now I'm hearing about how the story goes. I'm just like, this sounds baffling. 
it just sounded absolutely baffling. <laughs> it's like they, they saw the day after tomorrow and went, that plus all of this. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's literally the same guy. He basically goes, hmm, I wasn't satisfied with the day after tomorrow. I know I can make it more insane. <laughs> Just the fact that he decided to make one of the plot points. We need to get a plane. Okay, we've got a plane. What do we do now? We need to get a better plane. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's not. Let's all say the best line from the film, which is linked to that, which is, wow, that's a big plane. It's Russian. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I hated him the most. He was he was the, he was the worst actor, and also had like the dumbest death. And also, we got to talk. We've got to start talking about the tropes now, which is the random dog. So, thankfully, oh! thankfully, the film makes the decision to let the dog live, but make almost anyone who is owner has ownership of this dog die. <laughs> There's a, yeah, it's a weird thing in disaster films, isn't it? It happens in Volcano. It happens in Independence. There's always a dog that has to get out of it. And they're like, come on. And you're just like, it is it is endearing. So you're like, come on, little dog. You can make it. But I just loved how this dog, usually it is a retriever or something that looks quite alert and quite happy. But this dog was just one of those. It's got like a little dip tongue out the side of his mouth. And at the end, they're just like, yeah, we made it. It just literally doesn't care. It's just like... <laughs> just looking off to the distance like, had the ingenuity to run over some electrical cables to get to the ship yeah but that was that's where i felt again uh, where chris was saying about you know it it's again like with horror you know sometimes it gets too much and and that's where i felt that this film the interesting thing about disaster films is that obviously horrible things are happening and people are like dying and stuff but you're seeing it from like a bird's eye view so you don't really get the scale of it but usually you might get some idea of like oh god there's people in those cars there's people drowning or whatever you know like titanic you know you see all those bodies that you know like floating there it's like it's the the grim like reality of that but in this it felt like a sort of like just a model village it never seemed to me like i was actually watching the end of the world it just looked like la had been evacuated and like the entire thing was falling down you know the only civilization was like the two old women in that car that john cusack was getting annoyed by and then like the people in the airport and that was about it and it's that's the weird thing about it is like and then later on with the dog you know the whole dog thing it was like with i think it was gordon wasn't it the guy who was like the boyfriend okay at the beginning he was a bit of a, a dick you know he was just like oh yeah i'm better dad da, da, da. but throughout it they did make it quite a redeeming character he he piloted the plane he was quite reluctant to pilot the bigger plane but he did and you know he helped them out and you know he was uh, you know, quite nice then to the the father later on, etc. And the son talked about what a nice guy he is. And then what's it the, the you know the reward for that? He dies needlessly. And then the same with the Russian girlfriend. You know, she had that like moment of vindication, like yeah, I got on the boat without you. And then she drowns. I was like, why? Why do you have to kill these characters, Roland? He was like, no, only the nice American family may live at the end. <laughs> you know, I, I think I, I think it's interesting what you were saying before about how it's kind of almost like a parody it's almost you know being so ridiculous it's a bit silly i think i think there's a bit of that but i think if that was a real aim it just doesn't go far enough it's almost like he he want you know they want it to be both they want it to be this grim thing because it's a grim subject matter it's the end of the world but they also want to have a laugh and so yeah they sort of end up <laughs> on the uh, on the tightrope of like we can't show people in 
much genuine despair. Although that drowning scene was pretty rough, um, but we can't have like people, you know, randoms screaming into the abyss, um, seeing their children. You know, <laughs> just you can't have it because two seconds later, John Cusack's going to make a quip about his ex-wife or something. You know, it's a weird. It's a weird movie. <laughs> the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, this. Somebody wrote this. <laughs> I just find it. I just find it impressive that Seth Rogen was able to make a much better uh, end of the world <laughs> movie involving rich people than this incredible, supposedly incredible epic. Very true. Very true. And it's yeah. It's the fact like. I do enjoy some of the, like, ridiculousness of it sometimes because it does get so, like, you know, the plane, like, when, you know, the cars and they're there, like, bouncing out of the plane and it's there, like, you know, flipping through the train and the buildings, like I said earlier. There are a lot of tropes which sometimes you just have to laugh at. Like, even, like, you know, the boyfriend to the Russian girl who's, like... Like his accent, I was like, I was like, I can't, I can't imagine that you were serious about this. Like the guy is literally, I was just like, there's no way on earth that this guy is actually Russian. And I was like, no way would any BP on set be like, yeah, that, that's really good. That's <laughs> like, he was like, like everything he says is like, you must get to the door immediately. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, you're not Constantine from Muppets, you know, Most Wanted. It's just, it's the most ridiculous, you know. So again, it's like him bigging up these, like, you know, nationalities and this kind of stuff. And then, of course, you have the whole, like, you know, America, you know, I am, you know, President Wilson, da, 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 and all this kind of stuff as well. And that, you know, kind of lapses into things then, like we said before, like Transformers and stuff. They go with the whole, oh, the White House. And, you know, like, oh, look, it's Air Force One. Like, was anyone else, like... I don't know if that was meant to be a bigger moment. I was like, when Air Force One was coming at them on the boat, I was like, so? I was like, you know, if it was like the Statue of Liberty or something, I would have been like, oh, wow, you know, but it was like, it's not that big a, you know, plane. It's literally a plane that they landed near the near those ships of course it was going to be washed up in this tsunami yeah but just the way the guy said it's air force one and oh i have to say as well my most favorite ridiculous again roland emmerich does this a lot ridiculous characters but the british guy with like the dicky bow and like the (laughs) the frizzled hair and my favorite moment in the entire film is just when what what are they trying to do where they're like trying to make it so that they get all the passengers on board or they're trying to make it so that they can go help with the gear thing. And he takes his cane from that guy and goes, don't make another move. And I'm like, like as if the guy just has to go, moves the cane out of the way and presses, you know, what was he going to do? There's a vital part of that line that you've missed out, David, that makes it so much better. Uh, Yeah. Don't you make another move, young man. Yeah, that's 2012, <laughs> the film, not the year, uh, which, like I said, is indicative of a lot of the, you know, stereotypes of disaster movies. Uh, but we'll now go on to uh, a different representation of disaster films, which is from, you know, the 90s, which is from a different era. But a lot of the same sort of themes appearing. But, you know, maybe there's some improvements with this one and maybe some more crazy stuff. Um, and they just focus on the one sort of terror in this, not like every element known to man like in 2012 so uh this uh this one as well guys watch out for it has one of my favorite ever like redundant voiceover lines which is just the most 
anti-epic thing, but yet it's said by the tra- trailer voice guy. So it makes it sound epic, but like in reality, you're like, that's not epic. And also it has the best tagline for a film at the end ever. Good morning, Southern California. We're heading for a high of 75 degrees. Didn't take long to get our first sig alert this morning. <laughs> This morning, Shaker surprised all of us here in the Fox 11 newsroom. This was a small to moderate earthquake. Epicenter in magnitude is in for a tense fight. Epicentered in Palmdale. Palmdale. If a dam breaks and the mayor calls, I don't want you telling her Rourke went fishing. Okay, we don't pull her off the slopes for even a 4.9. Gas explosion in the MacArthur Park area. Rescue crews. Public Works lost seven guys. What's going on? Freak accident on the storm drain. They had a steam pipe and got scalded. Steam did that. Steam doesn't try tissue like this. Methane? Something else. We got a problem. Number four trend, westbound. Temperature on board reads 20 degrees above normal. That lake was 62 degrees yesterday. Today it's up to 68. That's a sunny day. Takes a geological event to heat a million gallons of water in 12 hours. What is a geological event? Mike, come in. What's going on? It's tremendous heat. This is no good. Get out of here. Coast is toast, guys. The coast is toast. <laughs> Already, I'm in a much better mood. <laughs> 1997 Sorry. just understands how you make a film like this watchable. Oh, that film trailer had one of my favourite trailers of, of that late 90s, early 2000s. The metal clang. Cling, cling, cling. Playing over the, the, the score. It was one of my favourite tropes. You had it in all the films. And like, you're right. That that last voiceover as well, and that last bit is just sort of like, oh God, <laughs> just, just cherry on top. Wasn't yeah, it? It's anything, anything, can anything happen. could happen. It, it will. It will. <laughs> so yeah, this is Volcano, which came out in 1997 uh, on the 25th of April. It's directed by Mick Jackson. Stars Tommy Lee Jones as Mike Rourke, Anne H as. Dr. Amy Barnes, uh, Gabby Hoffman as Kelly Rourke, Don Cheadle as Emmett Reese, Keith David as Lieutenant Ed Fox, and Jacqueline Kim as Dr. Jay Calder. And yeah, like we said, uh, <laughs> a very, you know, indicative of the 90s 
just through that trailer, as we mentioned. And, and yeah, I think from what Craig said as well is possibly a lot better time of, you know, watching, especially because it's like an hour and 40 minutes as opposed to two hours. And four. I, was, I was thinking that as I was like, it's mad how this is like literally almost half of the, the length of, of 2012. So, you know, what were your guys' thoughts on Volcano? You know, again, same thing as before, who had seen this before, who, who hadn't, I, I hadn't seen this one before personally. I saw this probably 10, 15 years ago, maybe. Like a long time ago. I thought I had seen this movie, but I hadn't. <laughs> it was Dante's peak. <laughs> it was, yeah, I think so. I recall like catching scenes of it. It would have been on like Channel 5. <laughs> yeah, it is that kind of film in it. And then you're scrolling through and you just see like the chaos and everything. And you're like, ooh, this film's got lava in it. And then I probably just skipped over because I, I just... But yeah... <laughs> I suppose my first proper full viewing was was this one. So yeah, I think it it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because like I said, this one is just rather than the world, it is just Los Angeles. It's just this one threat, you know, the volcano. It focuses on you know a uh, accident, you know, resp- you know, emergency response team. So you know, it's more linked. It isn't just like they still go down the trope of, and I don't know what it is about disaster films and divorced dads. Like, why is that a thing? Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is like apparently you can't have a happy family in a disaster film. It's just like because it's it's the the twenty twelve was the exact same storyline as like War of the Worlds. Just you know the son isn't happy, but the daughter's okay with him, and it was just a oh I get so sick of this. But pretty but yeah. sure the only disaster film I know where the family is already happy together is probably The Impossible. And that's because it's based on a real story. So you can't be like, we're all on holiday together, despite the fact that the mother and dad are divorced. Yeah. I was going to say Independence Day, but I believe Jeff Goldblum's character and is going through the similar thing as well. So it's, it's, it's a trope that has existed in disaster films for as long as I can remember, the divorced, and then they end up coming. It's, it's, it's wonderful that it's, like, it's almost like saying, you know what will help this couple get together? a cataclysmic event. <laughs> That's what will make you realize that you love each other. Ah. The end of the world. But the difference in this situation is it's helping push him towards somebody else. Although it is actually, uh-huh. ref- it is actually refreshing that the Amy Barnes and what's Tommy Lee Jones's character called again? Mike Rourke. Yeah. The Mike Rourke. Uh, wow. So close to a, to an innuendo. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's actually refreshing that they don't get together at the end, because obviously you can mm. ten- you can definitely tell there's like tension between them, but just it all it basically comes down to is uh, the head tilt on the shoulder. Which, let's face it, if you have just solved a volcanic crisis, I think a hug is perfectly acceptable. <laughs> In both these films, the romantic subplot is signalled by another character saying to one of the characters saw the way you were looking at them yeah <laughs> which is a real seems like a real cheap way to yeah <laughs> chip people together because um, in 2012 i thought that and that was really bad timing that they were just talking about like the contingency plan <laughs> and he was like by the way um the president's daughter and i was like this is not the time man you know for <laughs> god's sake you know what the hell <laughs> so father has just died <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, even before that, he was, you know, when, like, he first met her, he was like, I saw the look you were giving her, and he was just like, what on earth? 
I know, I know it's a bit of a difficult time for all of us, but you two, you uh, you, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, just, just worse just about all of that. Like when you have that, I saw the way you were looking out. What with genuine fear for her safety in the middle of a cataclysmic <laughs> disaster? Yeah, don't don't you look at most people like that? I saw the way you were looking at the president's daughter. You know, <laughs> I don't look at many people in the middle of a cataclysmic disaster and go, "I hope you fucking die." Um, <laughs> As if he's gonna look at like the president's daughter with disdain, like, "Oh, bloody hell." president's daughter <laughs> like, it's gonna be some admiration there surely but yeah back to the volcano <laughs> which interesting point about the film it's not technically a volcano is it no no that's the, that was the thing i noticed as the, as the film was progressing i was like this isn't technically a volcano like well, it's volcanic yeah the news reports definitely made they were just like experts are calling this a volcano as if like they had never heard of one before as well they were like what is that it's it's some kind of fire it's it's almost like a liquidy fire um like oh like is lava oh <laughs> like, no, it's when they describe it as the tar has caught fire and is moving like there's a name oh. for that guys <laughs> although although going back to my geography a level Technically, the tar pit could be a volcano. It's just not. A, it's not a very traditional one. I um, see. Because obviously, you can get underwater volcanoes, right? And then there's literally just a gap in the Earth's surface in which the magma is able to rise out. It's. I think it's just because the only point of the film where there's like a, a major eruption is towards the end. Like, there's obviously like there's those little ones as the film forget, but I feel like when I think it's it, it's as they're building up to, it's like it'll erupt, and that's the point where it's like, uh, I see, yeah, um, in, in the traditional sense of a volcanic, that's that's okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, I thought it was actually going to be a volcano, literally rises from you know the center of the city or something like that. I just loved it when they had to try and block it off and they used the bus and it cut to that shot of like the policeman like shooting out the tires. And I was like, I kind of want to take that and like edit it and take out the bus and go to the footage of the lava as if they're shooting the lava. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it if they're like, you know, like kind of like it's in the Simpsons where Chief Wiggums is there like shooting like a ghost or something like that. It's like that kind of thing. Like, stop there. Yeah, the virus cloud. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, speaking about police, though, I think there is uh, there's an elephant in the room, uh, airlifted into the room. Oh. I don't know if you can see yes. this on my notes, but I've yes. written weird racism subplot. Yeah, this, this ties into <laughs> this. So, <laughs> I just want to make clear that Jerry is not a good man. There's... <laughs> There is a line in this film in which a police officer commends his fellow officer by saying, you're a good guy, Jerry. No, you're not. And don't make do, do out that he is. <laughs> do you know what's really frustrating about that scene, though, is it's actually quite good right up until that moment because <laughs> they kind of, he, he does, you know, he does the right thing and he sends the police car, whatever, to, or the fire, you know, whatever. He sends the thing over. And then the, the, the African-American gentleman and the police officer kind of share this look of like, this is this isn't o- this you know this isn't over. Sort yeah, of thing. yeah. And it's actually quite a, a an amazing moment. And then the guy, the, the other cop, touches him on the shoulders. You're a good man. What? No, you no. <laughs> yeah. And it's as and if it the film wants you to undercuts. think that at the end of it, it's just like yeah, no. right, right. The bit that got it's me, 
got me going was obviously when they've uh, when they basically just saved the day and they've uh, they destroyed that building to create the vent, and then they're trying to find that boy's father. It's like, what's he look like? It's just their faces. They're all the same because their faces are covered in ash. And I was like, are you joking? You are yeah. literally using a volcano to basically go, by the way, guys, we're all the same if you think about it. Just cover your faces in ash. No, that's called blackface if you think about it. It was really weird because, again, I was just like, is is this a thing of the filmmaker? I was like, no, this is like a white guy who's made this. I was like, what? What the hell is he? It's just weird that they try they like shoehorn that in there because again it was just it was nothing to do with the film apart from that weird like police subplot but but yeah that jerry is a good man thing i was just like no is that all that america needs in 2020 the year of the of the riots against the police because of george floyd it just needs a volcano to erupt in los angeles and then everyone will just accept that racism is stupid is that all it's going to take? Because I would have thought that COVID would have done that for humanity already, but no. Does it just need to be a cataclysmic magma disaster? I mean, going by the way COVID's going, I don't even think... You, you'd have magma deniers. You would have lava deniers. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a situation where it's like, you're saying that we can't go out and go anywhere near the lava but I think I can go near the lava. That's what it would be like. Uh, It's just like ice water. You know, it's just like, you know, it's not that. It's just some hot, warm tea. It's, you know, they're they're emphasizing it. (laughs) What's really stupid is that people go near the lava all the time. And I'm just like, do you not understand how hot lava is? Like, the fact that they literally lift people over the lava using a ladder. I'm just like, what are you doing? That's what burns them to death. <laughs> but no, it's only the, the closest part of their body to the lava that starts burning like their feet. I'm just and the guy in the train who literally jumps into the lava and catapults the person out. Oh, yeah, that's quite grim. Yeah, like, yeah the way he goes, I actually was like, oh. All his mates just watching him melt away, like. But the thing is, like, realistically, because of the heat of lava, he should have—they should have all been dead before then. Mm. That's the physics this film loves to just ignore. It's just how yeah. pe- close people can get to lava. Lava is terrifying. Like, yeah. it is genuinely terrifying. And like, that—that's one of the things about this film. When I'm seeing the lava, is obviously they're quite fortunate. They have, like, you know very resistant shoes but like there are points where i'm watching it i'm like honestly get the hell away from there like that bit where she gets a what does she get like second degree burn yeah yeah from a little spit of lava i'm surprised she didn't lose her damn leg yeah the fact that she just like her leg goes up in flames she's like dad help me i'm on you know like she says like i'm on fire it's got me or something it's like no it hurts yeah say no do something about it yourself but it's also just bizarre. Like, I was thinking in my head, because it is so theatrical, and, like, there was times, like I said, when the police were there and, like, the, you know, the firemen and, like, you know, all the news reporters are talking about it, and it's, like, Tommy Lee Jones is, like, you know, the Chuck Norris of this situation. I kind of felt as if it was building up to him being, like, we've defeated the lava, and then the lava would, like, rise up and be, like, no, Tommy, I am, you know, like, it seemed like it's... <laughs> I am your lava. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe I've watched too many, like, fantasy films, you know, or I've watched, like, Disney's Hercules too many times, and it's, like, there's a lava monster, but... <laughs> One thing I I want to point out as well is like some some 
there are way too many reporters there. Oh like, yeah, yeah. When they are building the barricade, like on I'm, the wall the... as well, they're there, like yeah. on it, <laughs> and they're there, like we don't know if this is going to work or not. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, seriously, you guys are taking up far too much space right now. You need to leave. <laughs> oh, but we need to capture the news. Trust me, they know. <laughs> the LA knows right now. They have helicopters for crying out loud. Get in one of those. Was 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 the guy in the car on the phone? Was he a reporter where he was sit, like just detailing what was happening? I felt as if he was literally going to be like going to go. Okay, it's around my car. I am now on fire, John. I am now like lit on fire. My body is melting as I speak. It seemed like people were going to be doing that at some point because the way the people like spontaneously combusted if like you know when there were people like literally rolling on the floor and stuff i was like somebody just gonna come over like how can i help like dude you're on fire oh yeah i, I don't know what to do you know that guy in the car there was, there was a point where i thought he was gonna be like a running gag and like at certain points the film the film would just cut back to him and he'd be like yeah yeah the building is falling oh it's falling down oh it's 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 if, if anything were falling, it would be this building. And at one point, I was just like, get out of your car, hang up your phone, and either jump into the lava or run away. Because <laughs> you well, are he just, annoying. He reminds me, uh, for another Simpsons reference, he reminds me of Kent Brockman. He was like, a large bear-like creature, most likely a bear. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I kept thinking of, though, when people were, like, jumping on cars and things like that? I was like, is this just the most realistic game of The Floor is Lava I've ever seen? <laughs> I was like, there's that Netflix show in which they literally amp up the drama of people literally melting into whatever that is, like, orange-flavoured water or something. But, like, no, th this is, like, you know, real The Floor is Lava. I will say, though, the fact that they decide to basically premise the story around like the disaster response team and basically just actually having strategies to fight the volcano for me just elevated the film like a hell of a lot and actually just made it engaging because insofar as it's literally we can stop this volcano how do we do it and just doing watching all of those strategies that actually made it really engaging and actually just made me give any semblance of a damn because it isn't will we survive the volcano it's literally will we stop the volcano yeah, so when you're just watching all of the explosions and like even the scene where that guy who has to sacrifice himself knowing for the the plan and just look at each other it's just like this is really compelling stuff at this point yeah well there was the bit as well towards the end where they were doing the fuses and there's that one guy who gets trapped his legs yeah trapped. that's the guy i mean yeah oh that one yeah yeah um it was it was it, i agree there, there was some there were parts of this film that i was genuinely like wow i'm really enjoying this it, one of the weird tropes of like disaster films as well. Another one is is the large cast of characters, and yeah. like this film did have a, quite a quite a big array of characters that some some of them felt quite incidental mm. at certain points, and you almost felt like oh you probably didn't need that person. Like, but, but one of my favorite characters, and it was the the doctor's husband. <laughs> oh, like, God. that that, that douchebag who's got like this is my building. Look at my building. A nice <laughs> and then he's there like, what are you doing helping all these people? You shouldn't help these people. They're strangers. They're dirty. They're smelly. What are you doing? And then at one point, she's just like, I, this man's going into cardiac arrest. Huh, I'm out of here. I was like, wow. The way, like, she I, I, the way she rejects him is my favorite rejection I've seen in a film in a while, which is just... You haven't answered me. I always say, come come with me or we're done. It's like, I am answering you and carries on with her work. I was like, 
You go, girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The disappointing thing about that character is just the fact that you don't see his reaction to his building being destroyed, which I thought was the whole point of seeing that character being a douche for, for however long is that we get to see him going, oh, no, my building. Um, but we don't. It's really It's a really odd choice. I, I would have loved for somebody to say to him at some point, he's like, what are you doing with all these dirty people? Duh, 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 duh. And she just turn around or somebody turn around to him and go, that's my job. I am a doctor. This is what I do on a daily basis. <laughs> like, what are you on about kind of thing? But that's where you do get those characters who just come across as unrealistic. But, but yeah, I felt the volcano was a lot better in that where's these Roland Emmerich films, like they specifically go, so say in 2012, when we talked about emotion with those characters who like, you know, died with the building. I think one of the only like good emotional moments in 2012 is when the father gets told um, by his son, you know, where he's like saying about his, you know, he's like, oh, dad is happening. And, you know, he's the musician and he's like crying. I thought that was really good. But it was just those characters were introduced really randomly. They were just like, you were suddenly like, oh, we're on this boat and there's these two old guys. Who are you? And then Roland Emmerich does that quite a lot with his films. He's like, oh, hey, you know, there's like this guy over here and this guy in, you know, the Midwest. And whereas here, they only did it as a purpose to like, you know, they showed the train driver because then you just saw him later on. He wasn't like he was a character. He was, well, like a big character saving people or anything. So I felt that they all introduced them a bit more with a bit more purpose anyway. They were all just a part of the disaster. They were just civilians that you see kind of like i think they do it in sully uh that film with like you know the miracle on the hudson where they saw show the passengers coming on the plane and you saw see their personalities a bit and then you see how they integrate into the story later on so they kind of do that aspect rather than being like uh you know trying to shoehorn in this random storyline with them which is why the 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 boyfriend and the doctor thing was a bit weird because you were just like the doctor was introduced fine but why did you have to introduce this like, oh, they're, you know, she, she's with a douchebag kind of thing. It's like, who, who cares? What, what, you know, what, what does it actually equate to in the, in the end? So, you know, I, I think that's a good point about Volcano. And, and also just the fact that, you know, I think Tommy Lee Jones does like drive this film. I think it shows again, like compared to somebody like John Cusack, who's just this like bumbling family man who's just like stumbling along things. Tommy Lee Jones is like an active part of it. He's like, you know, he literally is just like, how can I help? How can I do this? He's just there, like literally drilling into the ground, pulling people out of like fire trucks. And that's a great part of his character is that, you know, you're supporting him. You're with him the entire time. Uh, Chris. Yeah. I really liked Tommy Lee Jones in this film. I, I, I don't know. Because his role, he just seemed to play it perfectly well. And yeah, like he was very efficient and, you know, he was jumping in and diving in, and, like, I just really, I just really enjoyed his character. There, there wasn't this sense of, like, and I know they had the divorced parent trope and all that, but there wasn't this whole, like, they didn't spend, like, time watching him lamenting the fact that he's a divorcee, and, mm. like, there was a scene where he had the argument on the phone with his wife, and he just got back to work, and you sort of were like, oh, I forget that. But I liked that they didn't, bog you down with like the struggle they didn't have like you said in in 2012 a scene of like we're breaking apart and stuff like that that he was very like in the moment and i really liked that about him um same with a lot of the characters in that film there was 
like the, the I think the one that felt the most out of place was that douchebag character because yeah. even though his building gets destroyed, um, as was said, like you never see that sort of comeuppance. Tommy Lee Jones also has some great lines, like that great trailer one, which was the. Uh, if you have a better plan, then, you know, tell me it. But this is the one we got, you know, like that, that, that's a great moment as well. Yeah, I would argue the casting across the board in this film was really strong. I can't mm. think of it. I can't think of anyone apart from, yeah, that instant where I didn't like the performance. I, I also just enjoy, I mean, I just like Don Cheadle and like Keith David. I just yeah. enjoy seeing them in a variety of roles or just bringing them in some shape together, just watching them especially watching Keith David and Tommy Lee Jones banter off each other, just that sort of like, because mm. they're both quite demanding actors uh, in that sense. So just having those, and just that in and of itself just hyped up a lot of the tension of this film. Although one thing I really want to talk about with this film is that obviously you have this film where say like, bear in mind, they've managed to come up with a strategy that basically vents the volcano safely and basically puts all the lava into the sea. So there's still like loads of fire and lava all over the place. Uh, and going into the end credits, what song did they choose? What song would you have over a situation like that with things? That's, it's <laughs> it's Randy Newman's "I Love LA." It's a ridiculously upbeat song. <laughs> it's just a like jaunty guitar number, and I'm just like, why? Why this song? That's it's that was that, so jarring. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was I, beautiful. I, I did love it because it did it like you're watching this film throughout like do they know what they're doing are they into this kind of thing and that goes to show that they were like yep yeah, we're just going with it and that you know is just pure reminder of that it was so weird so jarring and and that song all i think of when i hear that song as well is the bean movie when he's going around la so that's what makes me think of that as well and i was just like this is so strange I can't remember. I actually can't remember. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. But I, I guess yeah. it, could, it, it could be worse. It could be Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> yeah. It is just the way it comes in because it's like the shot of the volcano and it's like zooming out and it's like so quick. But yeah, so, so <laughs> random. There's just a few little things that age this movie. I think there's some slow motion shots and I don't <laughs> yeah. know the technical term as to why a slow motion shot from the 90s looks worse than a slow motion shot today. Mm. Um, and they're... Ch- they're put in at really odd moments like when he jumps off the car and it like makes it look like this and, and we're probably all just ruined by marvel movies where you know captain america's bicep curling a helicopter or whatever but yeah. um tommy lee jones I've, I've never jumped off a car holding a person i bet it's quite difficult mm. <laughs> but they they put that moment in slow motion as if this is like the big epic moment and it just comes across a bit I guess a bit pedestrian. And then um, later on, they sort of have that guy holding another man do it and then just be like, no, I failed. <laughs> um, but the effects are, yeah, generally pretty good. And I guess they they are mostly practical effects. I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think it's knowing your limitations as well, isn't it? Again, it's like with 2012, like, oh, everything's crumbling. Everything's happening. It's like, whereas again, this works a bit better in the sense that it's like, it's only LA. It's only these certain areas. It's only these certain streets which I think like works a lot better for it as well, because it's not like we said before, you don't get the idea of like, is anybody dying? It just seems like an abandoned city. You are seeing lots of people who are suffering and, you know, who are like victims of it. Um, but like you said, without it being too like grim and dark, etc. But I I also like Craig as well. I loved like Don Cheadle in that. I loved his line, like 
Moses couldn't reroute this shit. <laughs> that, was, that was a great line. Don Cheadle, I think he is part of that secret vampire club with Paul Rudd. Yeah, I thought that. (laughs) Tommy, especially when you've got Tommy Lee Jones, who has genuinely aged, you know, like very, you know, harshly. (laughs) The thing is, as well, a few days before this, I just watched Boogie Nights that also had Don Cheadle in it. And that was, I believe, 1990. Still looks the same. (laughs) How does he do it? And it it was was incredible. Like, um, but yeah, I really like, really liked his characters i thought some of the main characters the people that were linked with the, um oh like the response uh, yeah what were they of, called uh yeah there was some like emergency response team or something yeah they, they i really liked that that group they were really good i enjoyed the sort of the banter and the, the thing and when don Cheadle's character comes in and he takes over and he's got the hat on and he starts, he starts taking command of it. I really enjoyed that. It goes to show that that had a better script, doesn't it? That they were able to pull that off, I think. Well, well I, I think the, the difference with the humour with these films is that Volcano's humour comes from the characters. And the characters are saying things that those characters would say, rather than it just being a punchline mm. to maybe follow or... Uh, be a preamble to, to work the, the, the a big crack in the floor or whatever <laughs> like it's it's very on the nose whereas they're a bit i guess they're a bit more grounded in uh volcano and and the humor comes from those characters reacting as normal people would yeah like in 2012 they have like that crack at the beginning and the surfer dude's like oh man or something like that and you're like <laughs> oh God, so, you know it, it's really cheesy um I, I did have to, like, I also appreciated, like, I think it's like Anne, it's either Anne Hitch or Hetchy, um, you know, so it was nice that we had, like, this female, like, doctor, and that she also had, like, another female assistant, so, like, that you know, that was quite a nice different dynamic to have, um, and that she knew what she was talking about, like, I love that she, you know, she said, like, um, I do know something, I just don't know with any certainty yet i thought that was a great like response to you know when people are like oh prove it or whatever and they, they always have to make that thing of like oh well if you just let me do this if you just i was like that's a good response to actually say like no i do know it i just need to actually make it you know exactly sure that this is the case kind of thing which is a good thing to say in you know a disaster film especially because there's usually the idea of like see i was right um but that did that did also lead to one of the most bizarre moments and just like again like where they're commenting on LA and the whole like news report stuff and things that happen in disasters so looting came up and like Craig like what was my reaction to that like looting I was like what what is going on here this just made me laugh so much yeah so it's the scene where the looting's begun and she's just come out of the uh, she's just come out of the to the train line etc uh, and she's just taken off her equipment. She puts it on the bonnet of the car, basically starts crying about her fallen assistant. And somebody comes along and steals the oxygen equipment. <laughs> David just sent me this video and he was just like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> I was just like, I can believe that all the people carry, because they're all carrying like Xboxes or, t- you know, whatever, you know, in the 90s, wherever it is. But they're all carrying electricals, TVs, all this kind of stuff. And then somebody just goes like, yeah, oxygen, I'll have that, you know. Because like, if there was like 
a paramedic at the scene as if somebody's going to steal like you know the paramedics equipment or something i was just like that that just i thought was hilarious it was like a sketch in that she was like oh no somebody's stolen my oxygen i didn't actually notice that until you sent me that video and i was like oh yeah <laughs> it's so weird it's so, so, i didn't even notice that first time that's yeah, mental. yeah go back and watch it it's just so random and it's just it just made me laugh So how are we feeling now, guys, with our usual segment, which is the movie vault, which is choosing a film to preserve for all time, unless it gets blown up in a volcano, of course, uh, <laughs> that maybe symbolizes disaster films. You know, like, do you think that there's one from today? Are they both just too ridiculous? Is there a better disaster film out there that, you know, we have to wait until another day or are they just all write-offs? <laughs> I would argue I would like to see Volcano put in. It has the right, I think it has the right level of seriousness, but like self-aware enjoyment to it that I think a lot of disaster films can sort of benefit from that. Sure. If it's going to be one of the two, it's going to be Volcano. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. I think the reason I, I would, I want to go with Volcano as well, but I think the main reason I want to go with Volcano is because it, it, it is a, the disaster movies, as we've mentioned, have been, have been going for a while. But genuinely, I think that the disaster movie reached its peak in the 90s. True. Yeah. I, I feel like in the 90s, you had things like your Volcanoes, your Dante's Peaks, your um, Independence Day, and it was all mixtures of natural disasters and sci-fi disasters. I just think that in the 90s got them down really well. And most things post-2000 they relied heavily on the CGI. And this, like, this film has CGI. It obviously has CGI. There's points in it where I, I was like, oh, yeah, that's fair. But there's a lot more of this film that that relies on, like, the, like talking about the science of it, and it's about trying to battle this thing. Because, like, with 2012, it felt like it was just cataclysm. And disaster movies nowadays do feel like just it's cataclysm and it's doom and gloom and there's no way out. Whereas these are like races against time. Yeah. And, and, and volcano feels like that. It, it, there is this, this, this ticking time bomb effect and it's really nice. Like everything's constantly on the go and that the acting is great. I think I would love to put it in as a symbol of, of the 90s disaster movie. I'd say Volcano is right up there with that. And I think it definitely deserves a place in the vault. Yeah, I think that's a good point. The idea of these disaster films being so crucial to the 90s and there being so many of them, especially like you said, you've got a great cast. You know, you've got Tommy Lee Jones, Don Cheadle, which are like big icons of that time. You know, and they're also going to be in other movies that are in the vault. And also just like the trailer, like I said, you've got the trailer voice guy there. You've got that great line of, you know, the coast is toast, uh, which, you you know, you don't want to lose that. I mean, that's good for just on that, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely like convinced by, by what you said there, Chris. And I, I think you're the same as well, Kieran, as you said, you know, out of the two, that this is the one you would pick. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, Christopher's convinced me. Volcano's going in. Awesome. Representing disaster movies this week, then, is Volcano into the movie vault. You go. We're in the end game now. Oh. 
before I start this end game, I feel that there is something important that needs to be said. At, on the day of recording this episode, it was announced that unfortunately, uh, the host of the beloved show Jeopardy, Alex Trebek, uh, passed away due to struggles with cancer. I think that he is a cultural icon uh, for Jeopardy, as well as the fact that um, he managed to basically engage with a lot of people uh, because of that show, but also because of his good humor. So the fact that uh, he was humbly known as Kebert Zeller in a number of a number of situations because of a Family Guy joke, even to the point that he appeared in one of our previous end games because of that. So I just want to I just want to say, as somebody who hosts technically a game show, that he will be sorely missed, and I would like to thank him for any inspiration. Okay, end game time. So this mm. game is actually called Critical Moment. So what I've done is I've taken a number of disaster movies. I've taken them from the IMDb list, the top 100 disaster movies. Basically, what I've done is I've taken the films from that list and I found their critical score on the website Rotten Tomatoes. And basically, we're going to have a variation of the game Price is Right with them. So I'm going to basically, uh, I'm going to give you a film and I want you to tell me if its critical reception was higher or lower than the film before. <laughs> oh, so, uh, as, and there were also bonus points. Uh, if, basically, I'll give a bonus point to whoever can give me, like, the number percentage of what it, uh, what it scores. If you're within, uh, if you're within 5% either way, I'll give you the bonus point. So, for example, if, if a film was, say, scored 76, and you give, and you say you think it scored 78, you get the bonus point. So, are we ready? Yep. Okay, perfect. So, the first... So, obviously, there's no higher or lower for the first one, because there's nothing to compare. Uh, but the first film is Volcano. Its critical reception was, annoyingly, 50%. So, we have to say whether the next film is higher or lower than Volcano's rating. Are we ready? Mm -hmm. 2012. Higher or lower? Okay. So, Kieran has gone for higher, at scoring at 65%. Uh, Chris has gone for lower, scoring 42%. Kieran, you are? Which means Chris is... It indeed, it indeed scored a critical uh, reception lower. And... What did it... It scored 39%, which means Chris... Ooh. Bonus points. Yeah. Next film. The Towering Inferno. Higher or lower than, than 39%. Loving the tense concentration from both these guys at this point. <laughs> okay. So, so both of them have said higher. Both of them are. Correct. Any bonus points? So Kieran has gone for 83%, Chris has gone for 63%. The exact percentage it got was 69%, so sadly no bonus points. That's really surprising. Nice. <laughs> Next. So that's a, that's a point for both of you for saying it's higher. The Poseidon Adventure. Higher or lower than 69%. Okay, so yet again, both of them have said it's higher than the Towering Inferno. Both of them are. 
Any bonus points? Uh, Kieran has gone for 75%. Chris has gone for 82%. So the exact answer is it got 80%. So both get a bonus point. Next up, we have the birds. (laughs) Higher Ah. or lower than 80%. What a disaster film that is. I will say IMDb classified it as a disaster film, and to be fair, if birds took over the planet, I can't think of anything else that isn't more terrifying than that. So, oh, yeah, if Bird-demic is it bad is... that I thought Birdemic? Yeah, if Birdemic is a disaster, then the birds definitely is. <laughs> okay, but yeah, it is bad that you thought of Birdemic versus the classic The Birds. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So we've got a divergent. Kieran has gone for higher. Chris has gone for lower. Chris. Oh. That means Kieran. Yep, it is indeed higher than 80%. The exact percentage that Kieran has given me is 90%. The bird scored 95. So, Kieran. That, that was a tough one because, yeah, I think in hindsight, a lot of people have gone back to the birds and gone, actually. <laughs> Compared to other Hitchcock films, it's not that great, but I thought maybe originally. Yeah, I was just saying. <laughs> how many critics would go back and review it? Yeah, that's true, yeah. And it's just Hitchcock, like you said, in general, isn't it? Okay, so after four films, you are level, peg- uh, level pegging with five points each. So this one should be a bit easier. We have now go to the day after tomorrow. Higher or lower than 95%. Okay, so both of you have gone for lower. Both of you are understandably correct. So, Kieran has gone for 50%. Chris has gone for 48%. This is gutting because the exact answer is 44%, which means that Kieran just misses out on the bonus point by 1%. Chris gets the bonus point. Yeah. We should have stopped counting when I was winning. <laughs> <laughs> Topical. Okay, next next up. 28 days later. So both of you have gone for higher. Both of you are... Percentages. Kieran has gone for 87%. Chris has gone for 75%. One of you is exactly spot on. Oh... So what I'm going to do is, because you've got it spot on, I'm going to give two bonus points for it, because I don't see that happening all too often. The correct answer is 87%. Yeah. (laughs) Well then, well played, well played. (laughs) I'm underselling these movies. (laughs) So again, it's just gone to a point, it's just a single point difference at this point. (laughs) Next film is Earthquake. Is this like the sequel to Volcano? (laughs) Okay, so both of you have gone for lower. Yeah, I mean, it's a film nobody's heard of, so I can understand that it would be lower than 28 days later. (laughs) Any bonus points? Kieran has gone for 15%. (laughs) That is way too low. Yeah. 
Actually, weirdly, I think I think the lowest on this. I can't tell you what the lowest on this list is because I would be defying <laughs> part of the game. Oh, wait, no, can I? Yeah, we've already had what the lowest on the list is. Yeah, so the lowest on the, yeah, so the lowest on this list is a uh, is like thirty nine percent. Right. So it's not going to go much lower than that's, that. That's quite generous for disaster films. Even I know. Like the top. <laughs> Chris has gone for forty eight percent. The exact percentage for earthquake is forty two. So again, one percentage off that bonus point. <sighs> Unfortunate. But now we have the film The Perfect Storm. Higher or lower than 42? So you've both gone for higher. Any bonus points? Chris has gone for 67. Kieran gone for 72. The correct answer is 47. So no <laughs> bonus <Wow>. points. <laughs> oh, wow. So after The Perfect Storm, we go for Deep Impact. Higher or lower than 47%. So both of you have gone for, uh, so both of you have gone for higher than forty-seven. It's really? lower. It's forty-five percent. Oh wow! Oh, I wish people what? could see Chris's face right now. It looks devastating. <laughs> this is, is why I don't like Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it is yeah, surprising. Much. Okay. <laughs> So after after Deep Impact on forty five percent, we've got I Am Legend. More of a post disaster film, really. This. <laughs> okay, so both of you have said higher. Kieran has gone for eighty percent. Chris has gone for fifty three percent. The exact wow. percentage it's gone is 68%, so sadly, no bonus <laughs> points there. Okay, and after those questions, we're currently on... Uh, here are the scores. Chris is on 10, Kieran's on 11. Oh. Oh. There's still about, there's still about five more to go. Oh. Chris is wondering if there's somebody monitoring in Craig's room right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Apollo 13... Higher or lower than 68%? So both of you have gone for higher, which is... So the percentages. Chris has gone for 81%. Kieran has gone for 91%. The exact percentage is 96%. So oh. that is... <laughs> so close. A bonus point to Kieran. But now we go from Apollo 13 to Armageddon. Okay, so both of you have gone for lower. Kieran has gone for 57%. Uh, Chris has gone for 47%. The exact percentage he's got is 38%. <laughs> wow. So that is actually the lowest ranked film of today. I'm happy to tell you. So no bonus points there. Although I've basically told you uh, the next one, which is really unfortunate because it's the film Eight-Legged Freaks. <laughs> Basically, you're going to say higher, but what percentage did it get? Such a natural disaster, this, and <laughs> giant spiders attack us. Okay, so the percentage you've gone for is such. Kieran has gone for 69%. Nice. Uh, Chris has gone for 42%. 
It's forty-eight percent. So unfortunately, just missing out on the bonus oh. point again. <laughs> It's those even numbers, Chris. <laughs> okay, so with two questions left, there is a two-point lead to Kieran. It is possible to draw. The next film after Eight-Legged Fre- uh, Eight Freaks, San Andreas. Higher or lower? Kieran has gone for 55%. Chris has gone for 53%. It scored 50%. Oh. Both get a bonus point. I'd have lost that. I, I thought it was like 68 or something. Okay. So what hap- needs to happen in order for a draw is that Chris needs to perfectly guess the score <laughs> of this next film. <laughs> the next film is The Road. Is it higher or lower than 53%? Okay. So you've both gone for higher than 50%, which is the percentages. Chris has gone for 66%. Kieran has gone for 94 So the correct answer is 66 So in terms <laughs> of the bonus points... Uh-huh. And now the final scores... That one-point lead was maintained by Kieran in the end, scoring 17 to Chris's si- uh, 16. Oh. So... Am I be well cheeky? Yep. I did get it exactly right. No, you didn't. You put... Sorry, oh, sorry, 64%, I said. I meant to say. Oh, you said... Oh, sorry. I sorry, yeah. I, I, I misread. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I'm so sorry. Uh... 2020 summed up right there. It's <laughs> 64%. I do apologize. No, fair enough. I was going to say, Chris's reaction was kind of like, oh my god, have I. I just saw that as the damn it, I was so close. Yeah. <laughs> your your winning streak has come to an end, Chris. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, good day. So, how do you feel? I feel pretty good. I probably spent too much time on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and 28 uh, Days Later was brilliant. Well, I mean, that yeah. one answer is the one answer that won you the game, right? Otherwise, it would have been a perfect draw. Yeah, yeah. Spot on. I'm surprised about the road. Yeah, the road is a bit of a shock. Yeah, I thought that'd I th- be much I fun. thought that was beloved by all. So, yeah, well, well done, Kieran. This week's Endgame winner... Redeeming himself after, <laughs> yes, after his Star Wars. <laughs> so, thank you both guys for joining us today. It it didn't turn out as a disaster after all. We've had a lot of fun, you know. We might have been some uh, hurdles along the way, but uh, you know, we've all come out of it in the shining light, just like 2012 <laughs> to a new world. <laughs> Hopefully, that's what uh, 2021 will be. So, uh, where can we catch you both, guys? Uh, Chris, where's uh, best get, uh, catch to you? I know you said you've got a project coming up for Christmas as well, is it, with your acting? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, you can find me uh, on Facebook at uh, Dramatic Moose Productions. And this coming Christmas, it's been, it's been unfortunately, a rather dead year for uh, performance in the arts in general. But uh, we will be uh, working together with our... Um, our good friends, The Watchers, Watchers Productions, and Valiant Films uh, to produce a radio play of 
a uh, Christmas Carol, which uh, we're hoping to be re- uh, recording soon and releasing over the uh, releasing uh, three days before Christmas. It'll be in episodic form. Um, so hopefully, yeah, if you keep an eye out, uh, Valiant Film Productions, uh, Watchers Productions, and Dramatic Moose Productions, uh, and uh, keeping uh, keep informed. Awesome. Yeah, I think we're going to get a lot of that this year and we're going to get some nice Christmas stuff, like some audio things, recorded things, kind of like how we had at Halloween. We had like, you know, virtual Hocus Pocus fundraisers and, you know, Jack Black singing Tenacious, you know, doing uh, Time Warp and, you know, great things like that. So, uh, Kieran, where, where can we catch yourself? Uh, the only thing I've got is a video game podcast. So um, it's the Purple Ghost podcast. Um yeah, it's on all podcast podcast platforms. We post, we try and post as regularly as possible. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, oh, it's a little PS5. bit of regular. <laughs> the big console launches and say they're coming up now. Yeah, I mean we yeah we talk about a, a sort of variety of games, um, sort of old and new, a um, bit of everything really. I don't know if any of us are planning on getting a PS5, but anyway, um, yeah. you might have to like. <laughs> rent out another room if you want <laughs> the size of that thing is crazy the people i've seen post it i'm like oh my god that's just the box it's like it's like up there i'm like what the hell is that crazy uh yeah so thank you for joining us today guys uh remember for everyone at home as well you can catch us at well good movies on twitter instagram and facebook and you can also catch us on our website which is freshtakehub.com slash well good movies you can also catch a bunch of great written content at the moment uh, we've got some stuff from halloween and reviews of films like over the moon and a lot of like netflix stuff coming up and like i say we've got a lot of christmasy uh, goodies on its way as well so uh, yeah thank you everyone anything else from yourself Craig I just have some life advice I want everyone to walk away with if you're, if life's getting you down and you find that the ground around you is crumbling and you don't know how to carry on I just want you to remember you cannot outrun that shit it will kill <laughs> you don't even try <laughs> wow <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it before, guys, with the 2012. You're just like, I don't see the point. <laughs> but I'd also remember Jerry is not a good man. I think that's the big, you know, that's another big takeaway from this. So, <laughs> so thank you, guys. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. And yeah, be safe. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Bye-bye.